Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is finished, but I'm not finished. That's the message that Paul gives to us in this morning's epistle. It is finished, but I'm not finished. First of all, it is finished. Remember, this is the word that our Lord spoke from the cross. As he was hanging there, his final words were, it is finished. And I've shared with you before that it's this lovely Greek word, tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is done. It is completed. Christ Jesus, through his death, has redeemed you and me. As Paul said in the epistle reading, he said, Now I have a righteousness that is not of my own, but instead is found by faith in Christ Jesus. In fact, he goes even further and he says, all of my merits, all of my achievements, when stacked up next to what Jesus has achieved for me, it's nothing less than, than rubbish our reading has, that our translation puts it. But the word that he uses is, is much more vivid. It's the kind of stuff that smells bad. That's the word that he uses. You would get your mouth washed out with soap if you used it in church in Paul's day. But there it is. He says, compared to what Jesus has done, that's what all of his works amount to. It's trash. It's dung because it is finished in him. But on the other hand, at the same time, Paul says, while it is finished, I am not finished. He says, not that I am already perfect. And in fact, the word that he uses there is tetelomai. Tetelomai. It's that uh, evocation and echo of the same word that Jesus spoke. But he says, I am not tetelomai. I am not finished, perfect complete. I'm still a work in progress. Amen? I'm still a work in progress. I am still moving along. Martin Luther has a quote that I have hanging up in my study. He says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. And so fittingly, Paul compares this unfinished Christian life to running a race. One thing I do, I press on, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, what is ahead in order to lay hold of the prize of the upward call of God. So I want to reflect this morning to think about how this metaphor of, of running a race illuminates our life of following Christ. And I hope that, that we'll see that while we are not finished. We can nevertheless take hope and confidence in that finished work of Jesus as we make our way throughout this mortal life. So how do we to think about this? Well, first thing that Paul draws our attention to when it comes to athletes in general, general and runners in particular, is that they have a single-minded focus. They have a monomaniacal aim. And you know this if you've ever known an athlete, been an athlete. We just came through the Olympics, right? And we see people who devote their entire lives just to their sport, even just to one event, one opportunity. I remember when I was in high school, I had my buddy John who was a wrestler, okay? Anybody wrestlers in high school? These were the craziest people, okay? The wrestlers. And one day, after, after my own practice, I find John, and he's in the showers at, at uh, high school, and he is fully dressed. He's fully dressed, and he has a garbage bag over him, and he has brought in an exercise bike into the shower. And he is running on the exercise bike while the shower is going full blast as hot as it can go. Why was he doing this? 
Because as wrestlers, he needed to make weight. Emma, you know what I'm talking about. He had to make weight as a wrestler. This was his single-minded focus. That's how you end up finding yourself on an exercise bike in a shower, I guess. Don't recommend it. Uh, but this is what athletes do, and runners in particular. If you've been a runner, if you know runners, you know they've got their 26.2 sticker on the back of the, the car, right? I love it when I see the 0.0, .0 sticker. Those are my people, right? But runners, they recognize they're, they're running the race. They have to have that single-minded focus. And so also for Paul here, he says, one thing I do, one thing, straining ahead. And he uses this vivid word that calls to mind the way you picture a runner, say in the Olympics, who's kind of straining, doing what I think of as like the turtleneck, not the, the shirt thing, but like the turtleneck. <sighs> They're stretching out, straining in order to cross that finish line. That's the image that Paul gets us here, that gives us here. That's how focused, he says, he is on following Jesus. It's the one thing he does. It's the one thing he prioritizes. How about for you? I remember getting a gut punch on this score when I was in high school, and I was not a wrestler, but I was a baseball player. And baseball was my life. I realized about middle school, high school years, I probably wasn't going to go pro. So I thought, that's okay. I will write about baseball instead, right? I played on the varsity team, and we were practicing, we were playing. And it was about this time of year. And it might have been this very Sunday in the church year, actually. And I was having Bible study with uh, my pastor, Pastor Eric Tritton, who's from Manistee and still has, has family in the area. And Pastor T, the original Pastor T, the OG, uh, he, he said to me, he knew me well, and he said, Ryan, we're going to do a little exercise today. I want you to write out all of your top priorities. I said, sure, I can do that, no problem. Because I was a good son and a reasonably good student, of course, I put family at the top, put studies after that, and then it was like hitting a curveball, right? turning a good double play. You know, like all of these priorities suddenly turned to baseball. And I gave it to Pastor T, and he says, huh, okay. And then he has us read this very reading from Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, one thing I do, straining ahead to follow Jesus. He read all this, and then he gave me back the list. He said, I don't see faith on your list of priorities. And I was like, oh, he got me. Because my life had just been so overwhelmed with and focused on this one thing, but it wasn't Jesus. And it really threw me for a loop. How about for you? If you were to write out one of those lists, where would Christ be there? Where would he fall in your work, in your family, in your relationships? You understand these are not bad things, but Jesus always aspires to be at the top. He is our one thing. You remember what, Mary and Mar what Jesus said to Mary and Martha, one thing is necessary. Jesus is all you need. All those other things fall away. My high school baseball career eventually ended. Who's still standing? Our risen Lord Jesus. He's the one thing. All we need. And so we have that kind of single-minded focus. One thing I do, straining ahead to follow him. But we go further from there. The next thing that an athlete, that a runner needs to do is not just have that single-minded focus, 
but to have a strategic forgetfulness. A strategic forgetfulness. I mentioned the Olympics, and my favorite guy, my highlight of this most recent Olympics was Nick Baumgarten. And I, I mentioned this in one of the uh, Inklings. Mick, Nick Baumgartner was the uh, um, snowboarding guy for the United States, and he had this awesome run where he wins the gold medal. And this was the guy that I totally identified with, this bearded 40-year-old dad from northern Michigan. I couldn't understand what it was about him, but there was just something about this guy that I really connected with, right? And so he has this awesome victory, you know, does uh, the UP proud, does the United States proud as he wins this gold medal. But what was so compelling about his story was it wouldn't have been possible if he hadn't also had some strategic forgetfulness. Because see, just two, three days before, he had had his worst, most debilitating defeat as an Olympian. He just utterly fell flat on his face. And he was crestfallen. In fact, after that race, he was in tears as they were interviewing. It was kind of awkward. They're interviewing him afterward. How did you do? I let everybody down. And you're like, oh, gosh. But then he finds out he's going to have this other race. And what could he do? What he had to do was to forget what was behind. And by doing that, then he was able to devote himself to what was ahead. And the rest is history. So also, Paul says for you and me, that in the race of faith, as we are following our Lord Jesus, we need to forget what lies behind. Now, in the context of that metaphor, it kind of makes sense, but in the context of the scriptures, you might wonder about that a little bit. Because what do we have but right at the, the heart of our faith, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which Jesus says, do this in what? Forgetfulness of me. No, of course, in remembrance of me. Remembering is practically a synonym for faith in the scriptures. So how is it that Paul now tells us to forget? I think there's two reasons why, two big reasons why. First of all, because our failures hamstring us in this race of faith. Not because God can't or won't forgive them. In fact, just the opposite. Because he can, he has, and he does forgive us. So if we still dwell on our failures, we're just allowing this baggage. It's like we're trying to run this race while carrying a 50-pound suitcase behind us, right? You're never going to be able to go as well. And Jesus is like, no, I've cut that off. I've lifted that luggage from you. You're not carrying that burden anymore. So why are you trying to run with it? See, if we hold on to those failures, if we dwell on those failures, we're never going to be able to follow Christ well, not because he hasn't forgiven us, but because he has. So on the one hand, Paul tells us to forget because of those failures, but he also tells us to forget because success intoxicates. There's this temptation that to, for us to, to just revel in our own personal achievements or to glory in the glory days, and to just linger there rather than looking ahead to what God has put right before us. And that's why God says through the prophet Isaiah, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, because God is doing a new and even greater thing right before us. And if we're so fixated on the past, we'll miss what he is doing right in front of us. And so we need, as we follow Christ, as we live this life of faith, we need that kind of single-minded obedience of following our Lord Jesus and that strategic forgetfulness, forgetting what lies behind. But then one third and final thing. We need 
to keep our eye on the prize. We need to focus on the goal, on the aim. Again, imagine Nick Baumgartner or an Olympian forgetting about the Olympic podium or thinking, you know what? It's just a nice day to go out snowboarding. No, they're focused on the goal, on getting on that podium, being able to, to hear the national anthem. That's their, that's their focus. That's their aim. And they can't lose sight of that goal. And so also for you and me, as Paul says, what do I do? I press on to lay hold of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. What is that upward call? Is it that, you know, when we die, we go up to heaven? That's not quite it. We need a little bit of historical context to understand and appreciate fully what, what Paul's saying here. See, in his day and age, they had the Panhellenic Games, something like the, the Olympic Games. And at these games, the victor, the winner of the race, or the winner of the different competition, would be invited by the president or the emperor, the high official who was reigning. The, he would stand atop the podium, and he would summon an upwards call to the victor. And the victor would come up and receive his prize from the leader, from the emperor, from the, the president. That was the upward call of the, the leader there. And this is what Paul has in mind when he talks about this upward call of God. What does that look like in our lives then? What is this prize? Is it like the Oscars last week and the award for best Christian goes to, and then you get slapped in the face? No. Sorry, I had to just throw that in there. No. Nor is it a competition against your fellow believers. That's not what Paul's saying here. What is that upward call of God? What is that prize that we aspire to? It's nothing more and nothing less than on the last day, you and I being summoned forth by our King who says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what we're striving for. That's, that's what we're, we're fighting for. That's why we are living this life of faith, to look forward to that commendation from our King. Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, I want to close with this. Let you in on a little secret. The secret is the race is fixed. See, you've already won. Or perhaps better put, Jesus has already run and won for you. I was watching again one of my favorite movies, Moneyball, baseball movie, of course. And there's this moment in the movie where the, the catcher, Jeremy Brown, he's this big, heavy set guy. And he comes up to the plate, steps up to the plate, and he smacks one to center field. And he starts running. He starts hustling. Now, Jeremy Brown was not the kind of guy who would ever try to leg out a double, okay? He's comfortable and content with a long single. But this time, in this particular instance, he decides, I'm going for it, okay? So he, he starts to round it, and he goes to hit first base and to chug for second, and he trips over the base and falls flat on his face. It's all of his worst nightmares suddenly come to pass. And he, turn, he turns around on the ground and he just starts crawling back to first base while everybody in the stands is laughing and everybody on the field is laughing. It's all of his worst nightmares suddenly come to pass. But then he realizes why they're laughing. See, they're laughing because the ball that he hit 
went 60 feet over the outfield fence. <laughs> he had already hit a home run, and he didn't realize it. See, and that's where it is for you and me in the life of faith. Christ has already cleared the fences for you and me. It is finished already. This whole life from beginning to end until the day when Jesus invites us forth and says, well done, good and faithful servant. This whole life is a victory lap, guys. That doesn't mean that we don't seek to follow Jesus with that single-minded focus. It doesn't mean that we don't forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. We do, but we don't do it out of an anxious uncertainty of whether or not we're going to cross the finish line, but precisely because we know that the victory is assured. Indeed, it's already been given in Jesus. Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Jesus has already made you his own. That's why we press on. That's why we run and strive and fight. And listen, sometimes we stumble over first base and fall flat on our face, do we not? We strive and we struggle, we fail and we fall. We are not finished, but it is finished. And that makes all the difference. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.